Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Man, Buns, and Jesus. Where Ben um, already sounds defeated. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we've only been waiting on Josh for near an hour at this point, so um, I'm throwing him under the bus on that one. I should have known better than to hope that wasn't going to make it into the episode. <laughs> you know who you're talking to, Josh. Anyway. I'm, o- I'm old, Josh. You could have <laughs> lost me. <laughs> Josh, do you want that old? Introduce our guest now. Yeah, I suppose I can do that. Uh, that other voice you heard, for those of you who are just listening to the podcast, I think we've had him on before, right? Yeah. It's the esteemed, uh, the most holy of holy fathers, the Reverend Father Ted, uh, aka Padre, aka Bill, aka Things We Can't Say on this podcast. William Reedy, I think, is his actual given name. I haven't seen a birth certificate, but that is my assumption. Uh, how, how you doing, Bill? <laughs> I'm doing well. In the middle of the fourth week of Advent, or the third week leading up to whatever you want to call it, it is very good to see both of you. That is something the seminary never covered. Is wit? Is it the week before or the week after that we call the first or the whatever week? Uh, I'm, I'm, is it base zero numbering or is it base one numbering? I think it's supposed to start on the Sunday, which means that the fourth week of Advent this year is about, if you have a Sunday morning service, probably in the neighborhood of five hours. Ah, good. Yeah. Okay. It'll fly. It'll fly. <sighs> um, but we've, we've asked Bill on today because, um, he's an expert on human depravity, um, <laughs> it did occur to me like months after i sent the invitation how many bad ways that the invitation could have been read because <laughs> i uh, didn't clarify at all i i think that the heading of the email was plagues on humanity father ted you want to talk about it <laughs> uh, let me start with who ben and josh are <laughs> i've been called worse that's that's fair. Um, so we're discuss- discussing the back half of the plagues today. And in case you don't have your your 10 plagues memorized um, like a good little boy, um, we're, we're covering the pl- plague of boils. <laughs> I broke Josh. This morning. The plague of hail. The plague of locusts. The plague of darkness. And the killing of the firstborn. Uh, we'll also probably dabble in the uh, the little exchange between um, Pharaoh and Moses before the last plague, and uh, probably touch a little bit on the the Passover. Though, do we have that as a separate episode, Josh? Or were we, I think were we, we had that as a separate episode. Okay, we were gonna so, talk to uh, Doctor Egger about it, but he gave yeah. a hard no. That's right chicken yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're recording 
<laughs> yes, Father Ted's identical twin. Who <laughs> <in> his body. <laughs> um. Anyway, I didn't say anything. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. Um. You both anyway. know I don't edit these, right? Yes, we we do. Okay, good. Which is going to make this the most entertaining episode we've had in a while. Um, so today we're we're talking about how uh, when hardship impacts humanity, like what is God doing in that? Um, there's a pretty clear picture of what's going on here in the Book of Exodus is as hardship uh, hits the the people of Egypt. Um, and, you know, kind of by proxy also impacts the, uh, the Israelites before they, the, before they leave the land of Egypt. Um, but we wanted to talk about what that looks like, both in circumstances where you can kind of see, you know, where this is coming from and maybe circumstances where that's not so obvious. Uh, and to talk about some of that today, we've brought on Father Ted, who has seen some stuff um i think is putting it lightly and feel free to share as much as you want or as little as you want um but i will say this there's a pretty great talk that father ted did was it on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 or maybe maybe not quite that far out but um but that he gave on on his perspective as a man uh serving and ministering in the city of new york um as all of that is going down and uh yeah he's seen some stuff so father said i'm going to kick it off to you today um i just want to get your perspective on like we we all experience human tragedy but what is it like to feel like the world is ending hmm. yeah that was definitely a, a big unknown on September 11th. The, the amazing thing was is that you don't really ever get trained for any of this. You have firefighters that are trained to put out fires, police officers to maintain order, and every other aspect of law enforcement and such in New York City. But when it was really boiled down, a lot of us were so off-center that day that uh, even showing up was a big part of it. Uh, with Epiphany coming up, the appearance, the manifestation. Uh, there's something to be said for, uh, I used to make fun of this. I was taught by a very wonderful deaconess who talked about ministry of presence. And it's one thing to sit in our living room, to sit on the internet, to do whatever, to interact or to at least see what's going on in the world. It's different when you're either caught in the middle of it or if you're with other people that chose to go in and be a part of it um the rawness of the first hours uh were the most uh poignant in some ways because people wanted to know it was all wanting to get information about where family members were co-workers and there was the rawness that also brought the goodness out of uh people in new york city um, I lived there for a total of 11 years, but at that time I'd only been there for a year and time and time again, I saw how people care. Uh, if you watch too much television, too many cop shows based in New York City or LA or Chicago or Philadelphia, 
you, you get a very jaded uh, view of humanity. But when somebody simply wants to say, come, I know you're looking for your family. Let's go to my apartment. We can let your family know you're okay, give you a safe place to be. There was such a care for people. I were a clerical. People knew what I was about. But just seeing the way the, the city was so raw, seeing how people were engaged in very meaningful ways, whether it was providing water or a place to call. And do you, did you, oh, you want me to follow up on that? I didn't know how to follow up. I'm ready to go, but. I, so as we look at the, the experience of the, of the Egyptians, as they're, they're facing all of these plagues and like, it's not in our, our typical reading of scripture to, to like, think about the suffering that they experience. Um, in particular, because. We know that the end result was a to show God's authority and power over creation and over the things that, um, like over humanity and over history, but then b to lead to the people of God ultimately exiting Egypt. Um, but some of this would have still impacted the Israelites, and so how do you think they would have, uh? responded to like cataclysm after cataclysm in terms of the way that they experienced hardship and do you think it would have been any different than new yorkers with the israelites i've always felt like uh <laughs> when moses gets fed up with your people <laughs> people and uh uh it's kind of like when you call your district president and say your people here at this congregation um the israelites were going to experience far what i think what would it when we know that they're in the middle of or at the beginning of their travels and they desire leeks and cucumbers that they're they're about ready to chuck this whole thing and go back I wonder what it was like during those initial plagues because it was to bring, the goal was to bring Pharaoh to his knees that he's going to let my people go, that they're going to be able to go. And then they spent 40 years uh, that this generation wouldn't even see the promised land. Um, to me, that that plays a whole lot into the church today in that you know, we go through these tough times. What? How did your church do during COVID? How did your church do during a conflict? How, all these things. And it's not going to stop. We don't get to achieve nirvana. Our religion isn't based on that kind of a concept, that there's always going to be more trials. There's going to be more tribulations. Part for me, as the, thinking about the Israelites, September 11th, uh, COVID, there's all these times where I believe that as much as God was seeing what it would take, what would eventually bring Pharaoh into submission and have to let these people go, evil is still going to pursue. Mm -hmm. Same way when Paul writes to the people in Rome that evil is sneaky. It's around every corner that we are, we are redeemed. We are not under any condemnation, but it's like the new Christian who thinks that 
now that I'm a Christian, so much is going to be better in my life. And the same things are still there. For the Israelites, I often wondered what the conversations were like when, uh, and kind of like our congregations, when all this stuff was going up, God, what about the people that lost faith? That people that did not believe that this was going to end well. Mm. The same way at September 11th, when there were fighter jets still in the air, we didn't know if they were, you know, I wouldn't know one jet from another. Where it was it friendly? Was it somebody else? What's going on? Because all there were were rumors. And imagining what it would be like with the Hebrews not having the, the types of communication we have. This massive population, how did word spread? And uh, I, I find I love communication. I love the way we can do things so easily that Josh can send us an email and say we'll start at a certain time. 45 minutes later, he's just arriving at home. <laughs> and he blames it on a man named Queso. <laughs> but seriously, it's it's so hard to think that far back in communication to know what it must have been like for the Israelites to mm-hmm. be seen, these Hebrew people seeing what was happening, but having very little information and how that must have played out. Then uh, with the loss of the radio towers and stuff on the North Tower, how communication was horrible. Um, it was only because we we're, this will be a great history lesson, still back on dial-up for internet that I got home. And whenever my uh, internet would try to call in, I came home to an unbelievable 150 messages that had come in during that day. Even though you couldn't get a phone call out, with any regularity that communication during the plagues during stuff that's going on um we saw it with covid where we didn't know if it was safe mm. are you a masker or not a masker vaccine i just want to know if it's okay to go out and check my mail um so when all these things happen there's that insular part that you want to take care of yourself but then there's that other part of when's normal going to return what's going to happen so Yep. Yeah. So, like, as you're experiencing all of these things, <clears throat> as you're waiting for normal, as you're trying to figure out, you know, is God in the midst of all of this? You, you kind of mentioned you're also asking the question who actually understand what's going on, both in terms of like, is this actually be, being communicated? And in terms of like, who understands the broader picture? Um, because with the Israelites, it's now been three to four hundred years since Joseph came with his brothers uh and their father Jacob. How many of them have actually handed down the promises? Like, how much is that known? So, how much of that this is um there's a, there's now this group of people and this guy named Moses who's a known murderer uh and grew up in the Egyptian household, like royal household is back and he's talking about your god is doing all of this for your sake like how easy would this have been to to see through and i mean you you talked about some of the confusion with 9-11 too of like you don't know what's going on you just know that 10 feet in front of you there's someone that you're called to care for um and you saw new yorkers doing that which 
for all of the stereotypes, I know must be an absolute rarity. Um, so it like, does. It, it does invite this question, right? Looking at this, at the big picture, the call it the meta narrative of faith. Um. So for the because like I'm looking, I have my Bible pulled up right now. The sixth plague is boils, and this is one of the ones where it kind of looks like. It was mostly Egyptians who were dealing with this. And Bill, when you talk about 9-11 and what happened there, you saw people who, they, they weren't suffering in the exact same way, but they were all kind of in the same boat and they were supporting each other. And, and it invites some curiosity of like, as an Israelite, how... <laughs> How is love received if the Israelites are showing love to the Egyptians? Hi, I'm the reason you're suffering like this. Let me let me come along with my unblemished skin and support you in your pain and suffering. But then it also, it kind of, I think it highlights something that is important to keep in mind when we look at Old Testament versus New Testament is in the case of the Exodus, it was God's people versus, in this case, the Egyptians. Like, it it wasn't, the Israelites weren't necessarily called to show love to everyone. They were called to show love to the Israelites and the people who followed fall, fell under Israelite care. The Egyptians were an enemy. So it's like, is the Israelite, and maybe this is why the Israelites' interactions aren't considered as important here, because maybe it, it, they were like, good, I'm glad the Egyptians are suffering. They need to let us get out of here. And then that changes quite dramatically with the New Testament, with the ministry of Jesus, who says it isn't us versus them anymore. Like, we're, we're called to show love to everyone with an, an evangelical bend. Right, whereas the Israelites weren't necessarily their approach to evangelism was having more kids more than it was and the big arm of supremacy. Yeah. So just some things that come to mind as you're talking, because it's like I don't know that the Israelites were going to their neighbor and saying, Hey, we have some water, like we can we can help you out here. It wasn't more like, ha, this is what you get. Yes. What, the, what were the Israelites thinking once they arrived at the promised land and took over Jericho? What I remember from that story is they killed everyone except for Rahab. So, and her family. Aunt Kat, yes. Everyone under her, her roof. Well, this is something that uh, we're probably, so much time has passed since 1982. So we're talking 40 years. And I remember thinking of specifically the plague of boils in 1982, when the first um, information was coming out about, about AIDS mm. and, you know, it was called the plague. It was called the gay plague. It was called a lot of things because again, we didn't know much. But we heard about a population that would have been homosexuals, intravenous drug users, and so on, that were getting this disease. And it was seen as God's punishment. 
Now, you have to understand I was living in the Bible Belt at the time in uh, Oklahoma City, where there was, you know, we have Oral Roberts over in Tulsa. You got some things going on where it was so, when you talk about, when you mention any care for any other people, how do we care for people who are sick? But we want to draw a direct correlation between behavior and their sickness versus God causing. And so that was a very interesting time to be. I had just graduated from college. I was just in a new community and hearing people talk about this um, because it was uh, a new disease. It was we didn't talk about any kind of a cure or a way of reaching undetectability or anything. Right now, we just know that if you get it, you die. We're going to make quilts in memory of people. We're going to handle this. And it thrust the church. It thrust the church into a, an amazing place of what do we say? What do we do? Um, going back to, I'm kind of stuck on Romans today. But uh, in chapter 8, when Paul starts the chapter, there is now no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. And then somebody from one of the congregations in the area, a devout Christian, died of AIDS. And it was just like, it was such a wrestling time because of, we can read the plagues. We can try to comprehend what it would be like to be in the plagues. But now we have a disease and it's taking people's lives. And at first it was uh, unprotected sex, hemophiliacs, that sort of thing. So you just see this turmoil kind of lose track. We lose, uh, we lose focus. And where's the church's response? It's easy to talk about the chaplains that showed up uh, on September 11th and the chaplain corps after that. It's easy to identify that very focused on helping to bring comfort and hope in the midst of chaos, but also those other times when something's going on in a community. Um, this is probably not the way you normally format it, but Ben, what was it like in being so close to Oxford mm. um, with the, the shootings there and stuff? Yeah, I I think the, the most distinct memory I have of that was just like confusion. Um, I think I had a circuit meeting that day and I left from church to go to the circuit meeting, came back. Um, and found out from my quilters that there had been a shooting. And then I started to get some messages from um, people in the congregation. Um, we didn't have anyone that was a member that was in the high school, but we had grandkids in the high school. We had neighbors in the high school. Um, our neighboring church just up the road um the 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 pastor's daughter was in the hallway when the shooting started um and so there was just a lot of fear and unknown and um and like just hurt nobody was really thinking about why did this happen there were there were a ton of people thinking like either like just I'm in incredible pain or like why here why why did this have why did this have to happen here 
Like, why am I having to experience this pain? It was not, um, it was not at all about like what led to this. It was just, this seems unfair. And I think the, the community response kind of slowly shifted in one of two directions, either there was a, a decent amount of support from a lot of the community. And then there was just anger. Um, the, the police response was really, really good at Oxford. Um, I think they were there and had the suspect in custody within like five, 10 minutes of the shooting starting. Um, and, you know, that still wasn't enough for some people. The, the school had taken plenty of precautions some things that had been missed, but that wasn't enough for people. Um, like the, there were resources to help in some cases for, for those who were experiencing, you know, mental health issues and medical issues. And, um, you know, those certainly weren't enough in some cases, but like people were asking, you know, why is nothing being done when there was obviously things that were being done. And I think for some segment of the population, you probably saw some of this in the wake of 9-11. I'm sure that some of this existed in Egypt as the Egyptians are going through these plagues. And I'm guessing a lot of them are going, I'm a farmer or I'm a day laborer. Why am I being punished for my stupid Pharaoh? Um, And I, I wonder how much of that existed in the people of, of Israel, too. Because, like, yeah, there were some of these plagues that impacted them, or that didn't impact them, but there were some that I'm sure did. Um, whether it was directly or, like Josh kind of alluded to, because their neighbors now hated them. Um, I don't know, but... Yeah, the there's a pretty strong mix of emotions in the wake of a disaster like that. I don't know that this existed in the uh, time of the Egyptians and the Hebrews. And, but and what's hard for me now is that it didn't, I didn't, I don't remember this being a real factor during, I was introduced to it a little bit at September 11th and beyond was the whole bit of just being spiritual. Mm um we had to go through critical incidents debriefing at times where we had to meet with a social worker or a mental health professional after a shift especially if it had been exceptionally busy uh, uh, more traumatic because of the number of recoveries and such and i remember this lady who uh took the three of us and we each had to go privately and talk to her about what we saw and we experienced that day and the part that was so disruptive for me was and i was always sent in first the other two guys always would send me in first because i was the chaplain and so i was probably the least likely to punch anybody <laughs> and so i came out and the guy that was going next i said just just get through it say the normal stuff and uh which if i this reminded me of going uh waiting for friends on saturday night to go to confession 
that uh, they would hurry up and go in and take care of confession because they couldn't go to mass the next day if they didn't do that. We had we could not leave the site unless we were basically excused. I went and she said something that just puzzled me. Bill, you're going to have some tough days. You're going to be sad. It's going to be a challenge. I want you to go deep inside yourself and find your happy place. So I don't remember. She's what talking I was about your liver, Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, once in a while, I drink water just to freak out my liver. So wait, um, do you still have that? Oh, I still got one of those. Okay. Um, so then, water I, or his liver? Yes. Oh well. Focus, focus. So <laughs> that's I not the out, theme of this party, Bill. <laughs> I came back out and I told the next guy, you know, just to cooperate. And he said, this is not going to go well, because then the third guy was always the toughest one. And even though we couldn't hear the initial parts of the interview, all of a sudden we heard a lot of expletives. And if I had a happy place, I would have already been there. And when you think about it, whether, you know, whatever tragedy we've talked about, whether it's more personal, so on and so forth, Nothing makes less sense to me as a Christian than to go inside myself and look for anything good. Mm. With the Hebrews, they still they were they were holding out hope. They were still there is going to be deliverance from Pharaoh. Moses Moses is leading us. There is a lot of trust there, um, but we know some of the accounts. Uh, you know, we need water. God provided bread. Uh, he brought quail. God kept on taking care of them and took 40 years to uh, make this process complete. And I think when, uh, especially when I hear people talking about end times and so on and so forth, I'm like, our understanding of time and whether we go with the whole, you know, a thousand years is like a day and the day is like a thousand. We just don't have concepts of the riches of God his providence for us as his people. We get caught up in the things that are not in the Bible, like uh, God won't give us anything that we can't handle and blah, blah, blah. It's You wonder back with the Hebrews, with the fact that they were so early in the history of uh, people with God, what was it like that? They, they couldn't go home and open up their devotion books, I'm guessing, because not, you just didn't have that sort of thing. And having to spend that time in uh, community, is that what we're sometimes missing is that community is a ritual versus community mm. versus uh, uh, instead of being more ritual, a sense of longing for if you read some of the prayers that are associated with Sabbath keeping, you're always anticipating the next one. And uh, I feel like I'm guilty as a pastor sometimes of you do what you can. You have everything that you've done on Sunday morning. You stamp everybody's ticket. They've had attendance. They're, they've, they've gotten what they can for the week. You send them out. And um, I, get, I understand more about small groups and being more intentionally community-oriented um, and how we can go beyond being event-based or um ritual 
and saying those are important parts because we're going to cycle back to those every week. But what do, we, what do we do during the interim? How do we care for one mm -hmm. another? Um, and just to, to use the gifts that we have to be more intentional about that so that we're already equipped and at the ready when something bigger happens. I think there's a couple of things that are, are immediately popping to mind for me um, as you're talking about that, because I know in something that I read not too long ago, it was talking about how one of the, um, I believe it was in Greece in like the, the second century, one of the big early growth periods of the church was during a plague. Hmm. And um, the Christians were made an ostracized part of their community. Um, they were, I mean, rejected by Jew and Greek alike. And because of that, they were also the only ones of low enough status that they would be kind of forced to handle the dead from this plague. And it turned from, we're going to make them do it to the Christians realized we can care for people by doing this. And there was a significant amount of growth in the church throughout Greece because of that, because in a family's like deepest moments of pain, who was there to care for them? Who was there to be their community, but the church, like they were the ones taking their, their, their deceased family members out and burying them in the field. Like, that was an incredibly deep and, and emotional way to care for someone with community, with support during that incredible time of pain. And maybe when it felt like the world was ending. Um, oh, and this is why I should write things down when I think of them. Um, yeah, the other thought that I had in my head was also kind of related to that. Oh, and this is going to sound super old school. Um, but I hope you guys can track with this. Um, I really like what you said about how we we focus so much on Sabbath keeping for the sake of Sabbath keeping, but we don't necessarily think about how the rest of our Sunday to Sunday life is just an extension of what we do on Sundays. Um, and like I've been thinking, I did a sermon series over the summer on like some of the things we do in worship. And what it can teach us about our God and the, the things that he calls us to. Um, and when I talked about liturgy, I was like, yeah, our liturgy on Sunday opens with an uh, invocation and ends with uh, a benediction. But really, our uh, liturgy on Sunday opens with an invocation and ends with the greeting time for the next Sunday's service. Like the whole of that week is still a part of your worship. It's just a little less scheduled and regimented. And if we think about, especially our, our time in disaster response as like some of that, um, we as the church might do a heck of a lot better at responding to some of these things. Like, I don't know making our, our neighbors feel safe enough about us that they're willing to go check the mailbox in the middle of a pandemic. Josh, you've got some ideas. 
They're percolating. Yeah, but my idea is such a departure from this conversation. I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, <laughs> because we've handled a lot of good things. Uh, I want to throw a grenade into the conversation, though. Because, and I'm going to use a bad example to start with. So that way I can redeem myself afterward. After the towers fell, Jerry Falwell went on national TV. I don't know. I don't remember if it was Jerry Falwell Sr. or Jerry Falwell Jr. And he declared that the towers fell because America was being punished for her sins. He specifically blamed it on the gays, lesbians, uh, the homosexual agenda, and the ACLU. So I think I've got most of that quote right. I used that in a sermon not too long ago. And I I suspect that I have a more moderated response than most people. Because I don't think that we can guarantee he was incorrect. Because what the plagues of Egypt show us, in fact, what a lot of the Old Testament shows us, is that God does, in fact, punish sin. And when nations fall into habitual sin, he does, in fact, punish habitual sin. Where I think Falwell's mistake was, is that he declared it. He did not. So in the Old Testament, we have the benefit of God sent prophets to say, hey, this plague is because X, Y, Z. Okay. Today, we do not have the answer key. So I think his mistake was saying, it, this is punishment. No. Now, do I think it would have been fair for him to say, this could be God's punishment? I think that's a fair statement. And when we see these different things, I think it's reasonable to say that this tragedy or this plague, this the, you know, the, the pandemic that we went through most recently, I think it's fair to ask the question, is this God punishing us for some sort of systematic habitual repetitive sin that we have fallen into and i think the question that i would field to you wonderful pastorly gentlemen that's is how do we respond to that possibility right because if if someone comes up and says is this because of habitual sin i can't tell them no not honestly because i don't know maybe that is what god is doing Mm -hmm. and in which case is it not the role of his the leaders of his people to say, yeah, so we need to step up, right? We need to, to take something from this and, and move closer to where he has called us to live, um, which is hard to do because at the same time, you can't say with authority that it's punishment because it could just be the brokenness of the world. It could God could have some other plan that's in place. There, there could be something else he's accomplishing with this. Um, so how do we how do we navigate that? Especially, I think, and I think this is fair to say, that for most pastors, the last thing we want to do is that is to say, yeah, this could be punishment for the sins of the nation. I mean, I think you can fairly say to somebody who asks if some disaster is a punishment for sin, especially for some sort of systemic sin. You can say, yes, it is punishment for the systemic sin of sin. Ah, uh, yes. Like, like nice that's what, circular, my favorite kind of explanation. You're welcome. Like, 
God, as he's cursing Adam and Eve after the fall of the garden, is just railing oh, against can them. I, can I interrupt you for a second? Hang on. Because I, let me, I, I, let I me want roll. to make sure my direction was clear to you. Okay? I, when God is doing all of this to the Egyptians, he's not just saying sin is bad. He is saying the specific sin of you keeping my people in slavery is bad, and you need to stop that one. I get that. And I'm saying from the beginning, for their for their lack of trust, for their lack of faith, Adam and Eve are given a specific punishment for their specific sin. Namely, mortality, uh, hard work in, in working the ground, and pain in childbirth, right? Um, these things are all going to cause suffering. And like if we look at the things that happen in our world in terms of disasters, are they likely or are they punishment for systemic sins? Yeah, probably almost certainly. Can we entirely nail down which ones those are? Probably never. Unless God speaks to somebody pretty clearly and plainly uh, in a way that is obvious to the rest of us. like. That is not necessarily going to be an obvious thing for us to be able to handle. And so it does make Falwell's comments interesting because if you're going to say, if this is big, if if you're going to say that the towers falling was a punishment for a specific sin, you'd think thematically it would be like something associated with greed or trade or like dishonest trade or something. Mm -hmm. That's a side note. But if we're going like with thematically, what's going on here? Yeah, and I mean, generally... God they weren't the towers of hookers, I'll tell you that. <laughs> generally, in the Old Testament, when God gives punishment to his people, it's pretty fitting. Um, you know, for your lack of trust, you're going to get run over by one of your neighbors that also worships the same God that you now seem to choose to to worship. Like, um, it, it's... Yeah, it's pretty fitting there. But even to that point... Like, I don't think we can go there to the extent that, like, our call in response to these things, if people are concerned about if their sin brought it into the world, which it did, just don't know which, uh, should just be the cry of, of Jesus as he's doing his ministry throughout life. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Go be one of those, like, turn or burn, turn or burn preachers standing on a street corner on a milk crate. Like, <laughs> see Josh cringing. Um, that's not a serious uh, suggestion. You heard it here but, first, folks. Ben needs a megaphone, some magic marker, and a poster board. Anyway, uh, picking up on some of that though is that you know when Falwell had all this to say, it was uh, one of the our entry points. We were we could come into the site to to work through various checkpoints where you had to present your credentials. And one of them, along uh, this one street, the police officers were standing at this barricade, and in my line of sight was a strip club. So the towers got destroyed, but the strip club didn't. I think God has far better ability to nail a target if he really wants to. <laughs> so 
we we had a nice comical exchange because of course I'm coming in uh, with a clerical and uh, construction gear on, and I said, "Now, how long is your shift?" And I was talking to him, and um, he said, "You know, I'm here for this amount of time." I said, "All right, when I leave tonight, I'm going to make sure you're still here, not there." And we had a nice laugh about it, but. You could sit there and look all the way around and say, why some, not others? Why the tr the towers and some of the other places were spared? Um, and why did 343 firefighters die, but also all these uh, other professionals? Um, to sit there, and I, the part that gets me tripped up is that some people are looking for a one-to-one -one correlation. They send so this punishment occurs. And it's just, it comes back to that whole, you know, wretched men that we are that sin, whether it's uh, uh, habitual, whether it's um, political, whether it's sexual, whatever it is, it's sin. And the result of our fa fallen nature is the fact that we're going to continue to endure this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, there isn't some sort of meter up in heaven where God's looking and saying, Oh, they're doing real well today, so I'm not going to smite anybody. Or it gets to this point, so there's going to be a disaster. Because, you know, you can sit there and look at Pearl Harbor. You can look at the Holocaust. You can try to go across all the different genre of disasters and horrible things that have happened in history. And just say, you know, it's easy to say sin. I just, I have a, it's a, it's a bizarre thing that we when I understand the whole fallen bit, um, it's a, now to be funny again, you know, uh, I don't have a pendant yet for when I fall and can't get up, but we are kind of needs one. There's it's in the mail for Christmas. There's a couple of people that would relate having uh, busted my head open on a occasion and so on and so forth. They would say that I've been. Didn't at one point you get given a suit of bubble wrap to wear? Oh, yeah, I have pictures of the bubble wrap suit. He hit his head uh, going into his own basement for our listeners. It was. Oh, no, I broke my ribs going into my own basement. Fell down the stairs and broke ribs. It was a delight. I know. Me. It was like four stairs, folks. So I'm being I'm being punished for my sin that, I, you know, I had this. Well, see, now I would argue here that some sin. Some, we have to say, just generally, yeah, sin. Some, it is fair to say one-to-one. -one. For example, if you cheat on your wife and then your wife leaves you, that's a there's a one-to-one -one correlation there. You are being punished for your sin by the consequences reality has brought to bear. Um, Bill, obviously, you're being punished for not cleaning out your ears well enough. Your inner ear got off whack. Your balance got off whack. Thunk. No, it's a lack of much more grave sin than that. First. <laughs> I had on Crocs. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep, yep. Say no more. And the then I walked you down. Boiled them. Then I walked down wet concrete stairs that I had painted with non-skid surface, except for the base of the. I didn't paint, you know, the landing. Didn't paint that. So my sin of neglect, my sin of stupidity, my sin of laziness. My sin of cheapness that I didn't buy more paint. It's all there. It's all there. We These have things to check out. Father Ted. 
Well, and it's kind of wild though because anytime you have a, if you've done something, if something like that's happened, it keeps showing up every time I have a chest X-ray or anything. They'll say, "Oh, and you had this; these ribs were broken." It's like <laughs> a reminder to paint the landing of your stairs yep, every yep. time you get an X-ray. Yeah. So they remind me that I'm a fallen creature, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was about to say that means two things now. I, but I, I gotta go to the. I gotta go to December twenty eighth, the day of the Holy Innocence, because there was the murder of all the children, the firstborn. Then we get to Christmas, such a big, big, big day. Three days later, we have to remember that because of Herod the Great being threatened by the birth of this baby, he's going to annihilate all children two years of age and younger. Man, it's just like, uh, you know, if you if you have a Sunday school program, school program, any of this stuff, and you look and go, man, this is just in God's design that that would be permitted that the result of the coming of the Savior results in the the murder, the genocide of all these children, we have a wild and crazy ride. I think it's also worth noting that there's every possibility that, like, in the case of a, of a, a large-scale disaster like the ones we've talked about today, there might be some level of God is punishing some people for systemic sin. Mm -hmm. There might be some people where God is just punishing them as a result of their sin in general. And there might be some that's a combination of the two, and they may not all be the same thing. So there might be people that were impacted by, you know, 9-11, where Maybe their sexuality was the reason they were getting punished. Who knows? Or but, be a tool to bring some people to faith. Yeah. Or, and this is something I've always suspected, is what if God was eliminating a worse problem? Hmm. It's like that whole argument, if you could shoot Hitler before Hitler did the Hitler things, would you? It's like, when someone dies unexpectedly, it, we don't know, but I mean, it's maybe God was was preventing a problem from becoming a problem. Yeah. I saw a comedy bit about that where it was like, this guy went back in time, killed a fictional German dictator that only killed 500 Jews, and then finds out about Hitler that only rose to power because uh, he killed the other guy. I did. I saw that same clip, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in any anyway. case, I think we have depressed you sufficiently for... Oh, the week so of I have, Christmas. I have a moment of hope. I have a moment of hope. So I'll save it for the takeaway, Ben. Yeah, I was not expecting that to work. I was expecting you to keep steamrolling on, but okay. I know well, that to keep steamrolling on. Then. Bill Reedy is on a timetable. So okay, fine. So <laughs> this past weekend, the the Psalm from the lectionary. Um, I believe it was Psalm 126, um, has this theme of turning joys, like sowing tears and turning them into joys. And I think 
in the in the end in a lot of these circumstances whether something happens out of punishment or whether something happens just because of sin entering the world and us facing that as as a repercussion um like we we aren't necessarily going to see how god is is working through those moments in the present and it's only in the long run that you see how those those tears are turned into joys um it's only in the long run that those things start to bear fruit there was another recent um Actually, that wasn't in the in the lectionary, but it was a reading I used recently from James 5, where James talks about how faith often looks like a farmer. You plant, you water, and you wait. And it takes time to see how these things develop and to see how fruit is born out of, of patience and, and growth. Um, and I think that's an important thing for all of us to remember in these times of, of devastation is like, repent, you listening to this podcast and also josh and bill because we could all do with more of that uh because the kingdom of god is at hand now bear patiently and see how god turns these tears into joy all right so with that uh ben or not ben i don't care bill uh, i know you've been on here before you may recall because uh, I hope we did this last time as well. We we do our best to close each episode with just one sentence. Kind of, if if you're gonna give listeners one thing to walk away with, what would that one thing be? Um, and if you didn't remember that, I'm gonna blame Ben because he was hanging out with you for an hour while I was late. To <laughs> so that would be on him for not mentioning it. But do you have a do you have a takeaway for a, our listeners? Anything that you really want to draw their attention to? And when is it that uh, our guests will be hearing this? Uh, releases tomorrow. Okay. Because I am completely, I'm holding on to, I will not give up Advent. Uh, our congregation chose to, we will have a service this Sunday uh, for the fourth Sunday in Advent and then have Christmas at night. Um, but uh, the lift up your heads. Lift up mm. your heads and see the beauty of the majesty coming. Ben, anything to add? Repent, you sinners. Uh, and I think my takeaway would just be to invite a question to you guys, to you listeners, that when you see terrible things, hopefully on a smaller scale than the plagues of Egypt, but when you see these uh these bad things happening in the world around you don't pretend to know why they're happening and maybe concern yourself less with why they're happening. Cause ultimately you're really asking questions that it's impossible to know the answer to. So this is a perfect time for the Joel Okamoto quote. God is God. You are not know your Bible, read it a lot. I'm talking about the red, them red shoes. <laughs> Has that music video made an appearance in a sermon of mine? It has. Did I make them watch it to the end, including the cringy seminarian dancing? I did. Because if I had to see it, they had to see it. With uh, that, this has been uh, season five, episode something of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, thanks to everyone who stuck with us this far. Especially if you're like an original listener from season one. Like that's some that's some dedication or you're 
criminally insane. Maybe both. Um, Bill, do you have anything you want to plug? Other than just like if you're if you're interested in learning more about what it what it's like to be a pastor, talk to the seminaries. That would be that's a always a given. But a church workers in general, I am impressed. Uh, having seen uh, some things being closer to Concordia, Nebraska now, uh, there are some amazing opportunities within our Concordia system, and uh, embrace the different vocations. It's a great, great thing, whether it's full-time professional church work. I see all these volunteers pulling off Christmas programs and doing school and everything else. Uh, God bless all of you that are that are volunteering and being a part of the ministry. Right. Thanks for us. Uh, like and subscribe to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it does. It helps us out. It helps our egos. It helps uh, the podcast get kind of exposed to more different potential bits of audience which is cool so if you find it helpful go ahead and, and like and subscribe because hopefully that will help it find more people who will find it helpful um if you have friends who you think might appreciate this might benefit something from this go ahead and share it with them and uh, especially if they think they know everything about everything yeah and if that's why you got this podcast calm down you're not that bright um, <laughs> If you have a suggestion for an episode or a guest that you'd like us to have on, uh, you can let us know. If you know us personally, shoot us a text. If you don't know us personally, we have a Facebook page, Man Buns and Jesus. That's the name of the Facebook page. Um, and we check it from time to time. Just know we're going through Exodus. So unless it's a really, really interesting topic, it might be a while before we get there. Um, oh, and you can buy a shirt with our the silhouette of our faces on it. And if you do, please send me a picture because I will laugh for 20 minutes straight that someone bought it, spent money on it, and is wearing it. Uh, and that you can find by going to edgewaterlutheran.org slash gear, and you can you can buy it there. I think that's all the shameless plugs we have for today. So with that, brothers and sisters, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.